Would you like to be a podcaster like I am? Then check out my teachable course at howtopodcastbetterthananyone.teachable.com. On this episode, I discuss UFOs again. I talk about the death of the Unabomber. I go over the circumstances of a dead doctor. And I cover a bunch of other stuff, including my favorite karaoke songs. I'm Ed Denzel, and this is Unfound Live for June 12, 2023. All right, everybody. Like it or not, it's unfound live time, which means it is 9 p.m. Eastern in the United States. And I hope everybody is doing fantastic out there. I have a great show, of course, lined up for you tonight. A mixture of unfound stuff and non-unfound stuff, as is usually the situation. Always like to put something together uh, here on these Mondays. Takes me a couple hours to do this, go through all the news that's going on out there. What I want to talk about, what I think you might find interesting, maybe something that you've missed. And so uh, for the next two hours... uh, I will try to keep it interesting. And as you are watching or just listening tonight or listening later or whenever, I hope you will give this live show a thumbs up. You know how we do that. Just do it now. In fact, just from now to the end of time, right when you get in, if you're in here a little early, you get in here at like 857 8.56 p.m. Eastern Time. Just hit that thumbs up button right away. And then when I bring it up, you'll be like, you'll be able to, you know, slap yourself on the back and say, hey, look, 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 I'm such a good listener. I did it before Ed had to tell me. You'll feel really, really good. It'll be a really good self-esteem boost. Trust me. So there's that. And uh, if you are new Maybe uh, we have some new viewers. We're getting, I think, new viewers all the time to this live show. Please uh, subscribe to this channel and hit the little bell button too so that when this uh, live show or any video is posted to the YouTube channel, you will be alerted right away. And if you'd like to go one step further, why don't you hit the join button You know, you see me on the screen here. Hit the join button below uh, the screen and you can get some things for a very, very, very low cost per month that other people do not get. So consider it by hitting the join button. You'll see what you get there. It's been a uh, beautiful, beautiful, it's just been beautiful here uh, since uh, we spoke last uh, not getting uh, a ton of rain this time of year, which is not unusual. 
and uh, it's been very, very warm out. It was very warm out today, but uh, for the most part, I was inside, although I was out kind of early for me, like 9 a.m. I've uh, resolved to um, throw the discs at least one hour a day every day, and and it's one of those things where uh, I did not play well in a tournament this week, and I think it's just because of not practicing. It's not an anxiety or yips thing or anything like that. It's not mental. It's just uh, this golf, as with any, um, you know, technical sport, uh, you know, there's, uh, you know, if you don't do it, you know, the skills will drop off. And uh, they certainly dropped off on Saturday morning. So there's that. So I played some bad disc golf this weekend. Otherwise, uh, it was a pretty good week. Uh, and, um, and I had a good weekend as well. Uh, of course this Friday's episode, uh, the interview's already been done and, uh, the interview for next Friday. So that would be June 23rd. The, uh, that interview got finished today, actually started it on Friday and we ran out of room. We ran out of time. The guest had to be somewhere, so we concluded it today, and that episode is going to be so long that I'm pretty sure it's going to be part one and part two. Both uh, parts will come out on the, at the same time, but just to make it all easier for you, all of you, um, it'll be a part one and part two. I really like how we did Keith Call and Sandra Haley's disappearances at the end of 2022. So we got a lot of things going on. I've spoken to a lot of people. Surely going to be doing some other interviews. And really, uh, to tell you the truth, I have um, the episodes pretty much mapped out from now to like the middle of July. So um, although some of a lot of those interviews haven't been done yet, um, they're going to happen one way or the other. All of those people are very motivated to uh, come onto the show and come onto the podcast and talk about their missing loved ones. So working ahead here at Unfound, which I love to do at least a little bit. Don't want to get too far ahead, just a little bit ahead. So uh, who is in here? Who is in the chat tonight? We got Charlotte. What's going on? Karen, nephew Charles, what's going on? Mark in Indy, uh, Mark in Indy says, finally had some time to listen to the Sean Dickerson episode, one of the most perplexing I've heard, not to mention, I'm sure frustrating, true. Deborah, Marty, what's going on? Glenn, the real, hey, I'm packing for a trip here, but I've managed to squeeze, where are you going, the real? You have to tell us where you're going. Barbara, what's going on? Um... Charles says, good evening, Uncle Ed. By the way, your sister asked me to say hi. That's funny. Well, your sister, or my sister, your mother. uh, Yeah, we we haven't talked in a while. That is too true, Charles. Hello, Kathy. What's going on? Uh, Jasmine and Sheree, thank you for moderating. Uh, Sheree has been on a little bit of a vacation, everyone. but and So it's good to have her back in as the moderator. Veronica, what's up? And uh, Angie, uh, everyone, she wishes everybody's, everybody's doing well. 
and Mr. Stillman. What's going on at Amy? Got uh, maybe some new people in there that I maybe don't recognize their names. I'm usually pretty good at that. So good to see all of you. And the room. I'm just going to Brisbane for a week, staying in the CBD. I'll be going to the Michael McIntyre concert, UK comedian. I can't say that I've ever heard of him, the real, but. I hope you have a good time. Um, is this a driving trip or is that a flying trip? Inquiring minds want to know. Otherwise, uh, what else is going on here before I get into all the true crime news for tonight? Um, we got Father's Day coming up. Do not forget that. Um, it's coming up this Sunday. I mailed my dad's card today and i was talking to him this morning and i told him i think i've found for him at least the most perfect father's day card ever i'm not going to reveal to all of you what it is in case it gets back to him before he gets it but uh you know i usually just go to the Publix, you know into the gift into the card section the grading card section. And it's usually not too difficult for me to pick out a pretty good card. But I'm telling you, the one I found this time really, really hits the mark. Uh, so I'm going to be very interested to see how my dad reacts to it. It's, you know, I always get, I don't get really, really deep, you know, emotional cards. I get funny ones. This one's kind of funny, but the theme of it is the best part. It's not necessarily the words or anything. It's the theme of the card that absolutely, you know, just hits it right in the middle of the target. So I was telling him that, and he'll just have to wait uh, to get it. Um, But like I said, I mailed it uh, today. And I think that I drive... um, you know, when I go down there to mail things, uh, if it's just going to take a stamp or two, I have a change kind of container that I take in every time. And so I always pay in change. I'm so, I'm so old, right? That is so, you know, it's like uh, I'm a boomer or something to do something like that. But I have all this change. Really have no need for it. I don't even know where all this change came from, to be honest with you. I don't know. Maybe my dad gave it to me or something at one time. But it's just a container like that big around, maybe that high. And it has dimes and pennies and nickels and a few quarters in it. So if I know I'm going to have to buy a stamp, which is 63 cents now, which is crazy. Um... I just bring my change thing in and count it all out and get the pennies out and everything. So um, there you go. Uh, So you're flying from Canberra to Brisbane. Kathy says the real have a safe trip. All right, Marty, I always do funny cards. Funny cards are the old reliable cards. They certainly are. Um, that, That is true, Marty. You can't go wrong with a funny card. Of course, unless the person has no uh, sense of humor, and then, you know, what are you doing sending a card to a person like that anyway? Uh, Veronica, no, Ed, coins spend just like dollars. I guess eventually they do. 
they, eventually they do, I guess, Veronica, but you know, uh, they missed, I, I think maybe the people just, uh, maybe roll their eyes when they see me rolling in, uh, with my change container. Deborah, that's why I buy forever stamps. Right. I, yeah. You know, I, I can remember back in the day, uh, really when I lived in Las Vegas that I would buy, uh, stamps like that, but I just don't, uh, really don't have any need for stamp. Maybe that's a long way. A lot of people are now with email and everything else, but, um, don't have as much need for stamps, uh, as I used to. So, um, there you go. Marty, that makes it even funnier. Yeah. Sending a funny card to somebody who doesn't have a, a, um, sense of humor. Yeah. That's, that's a good one, Marty. So there you go. Those are some of the things that are going on with me. Also, I continue to uh, do my singing practice. And in fact, if you can tell my voice last night during the think tank, uh, patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast, by the way, um, you know, really been working on doing the singing, practicing like uh, an hour a day, usually before I go to bed. Now I've already done it today uh, because of course this goes to this live show goes to 11 o'clock, but um, you know, I can tell that I've really been working my voice and uh, cause it's just, uh, it's just a little about 80, 85% to it. And it was even a little worse last night. It's actually better today. I can just tell that I've been practicing and I've been, Oh, you know, just when I'm around here doing things. Um, and I've been starting to pick out when I think I'm ready to go public uh, with the voice that I've been working on. I've been picking out some songs that I uh, would like to sing at karaoke when I have the courage to show up one of these days soon. So I, and I am going to give you, uh, I'm going to tell you a few of them uh, right now so I can get, uh, you know, kind of get, not your feeling on them, but you'll, you know, kind of see where I'm going with all of this. Um, some of the songs, you know, there's a lot of songs that I like that right now are a little bit out of my range. Uh, you know, we start talking about, like Iron Maiden songs with Bruce Dickinson and, and a lot of Judas Priest songs and things, you know, they're just, um, you know, those guys can really sing. And of course they're skilled, they're professionals and all that. So there's a lot of songs that I like that I can't sing, but there are certainly a lot of songs that I like uh, that I can't, that I am able to sing now and I could not sing them probably even three or four months ago. So I'm just going to give you three right now to, uh, to imagine me singing them. And maybe then one of these days I'll have a do, I'll have the courage to do that on a live show, but it's not going to happen tonight. Uh, if for no other reason, then, um, then my voice is not to 100%. And even doing my voice exercises today, I could tell that uh, probably it's like going to the gym and making, you know, working out a little too hard. Your voice, your muscles are a little sore than usual. That's kind of what's going on with my voice. So here are, uh, Marty says, 
Uh, hello, Twinkle, by the way. Twinkle, what's going on with you? Good to see you tonight. Uh, Marty says, I do a killer rendition of Bobo, right? Right. By a character. All right. So that's um, the who. That's also known as a teenage wasteland, right, Marty? You know, I have to tell you, that's um, not, you know, I love the who, but that's not really one of my top the who songs. Um, I think my favorite who song is uh, Can You See the Real Me? I, I think that is probably my favorite uh, Who song. Mark says, great song, Marty. Classic, Mark. All right, so here are the three songs. And they're kind of like, you know, in, in kind of different genres. Uh, one of them is Superstitious by Europe. Keep on walking. I'm just doing do an octave down. Keep, or I won't sing it at all. Keep on walking that road and I'll follow. Keep on calling my name and I'll be there. And if the mirror should break, it's easy to take. Just so you know that I care. I'm not superstitious. Maybe you know that song. That was that was on the album After the Final Countdown. That is a spectacular song. Superstitious by Europe. And then Fortress Around Your Heart by Sting. Which is a fantastic tune. And... um. Bark at the Moon by Ozzy Osbourne. So three kind of different types of tunes. And I can actually sing those ones pretty, pretty, pretty well. And if you know them, you, you know, there's some range to them, at least a little bit. You get up to like, an, you know, for us musicians, like an A4, like A above middle C, or an A sharp above middle C, or a B above middle C. Those songs go up to that. I can get to that. And that's... um pretty pretty good with some confidence so if you know this song superstitious by europe uh fortress around your heart by sting and bark at the moon by ozzy osbourne so there you go and twinkle says i would love to see you at karaoke well i go and i think i'm gonna do well i'll video it twinkle charlotte yes uh charlotte agrees with twinkle if i think i'm gonna do well i'll get somebody there to video it and i'll put it up on facebook so everybody can critique me all right, let's move on to, and you can look all those songs up for all of you who are not familiar with those songs. I'm thinking people know Bark at the Moon, and I'm thinking people know Fortress Around Your Heart. Um, but a lot of people don't know Superstitious by Europe, but it's a fantastic, uh, fantastic tune. All right, let's move on. Um, let's start with uh, very, very big news. Um, in Unfound Land. And that is, and this is, of course, a very recent disappearance that Unfound covered. Uh, Alan Glasgow, you'll remember him. He was the guy that, uh, you know, not one of the greatest guys, to be honest, that we've covered on Unfound. Remember, uh, it was his ex-wife who was the guest, and they have a child together. And he went to Canada and he got kicked out of Canada because he attacked a woman. He came back, was working at a convenience store, and then was living with two other employees there, a mother and a daughter. Then he went missing. And, it, you know, uh, the, the details were a bit vague. He's alive. Uh, authorities in Arkansas somehow tracked him down. And found him and identified him. 
and he is alive. And the reason he is missing is that, yeah, the smiley face on the car. There you go, Marty. Exactly. The reason he's missing is he just doesn't want to have a contact with anybody in his family or friends, anybody anymore. That's what he told authorities. I'm not missing. I'm right here. I don't want to have any contact with anybody. That's it. And the way I found out was that Annabelle, who was the guest, uh, she uh, sent me a message on Saturday, I think it was, uh, telling me uh, this. So if you're keeping track, uh, this uh, Alan is the third missing person who has been found alive that unfound, you know, covered that person's disappearance. The first one was Patrick Reed in Texas. And then there was Brandon Roberts. Of course, that was just a couple months ago that that happened. And then, and that was in Oregon. And as I told you a couple weeks ago, Brandon Roberts is home. He got burned and everything, but he's at home. He's alive. I have not talked to his mother yet to know exactly the state of his health or anything, but um, he was number two. And now we have Alan Glasgow is number three. And, you know, I don't know. um, I can't say that I'm too surprised by that. Um, Alan is one of the shadier people that we've covered on Unfound. So I guess it shouldn't be our uh, surprise that he just decided he didn't want anything to do with you know, with anybody else in his life and he wanted to evade the responsibility of, um, you know, being a father and everything else. So Alan Glasgow is alive. So once again, for anybody keeping score at home, that is the third person that has been found alive that unfound is featured. Now, crazier is that is the fourth, at least the fourth, disappearance it's the fourth disappearance that has been resolved this year of disappearances that have only been featured this year so since january four disappearances have been resolved to one extent or another and all four of them were disappearances that came out this year that is something now i think um I have to look at the exact order. Let me let me uh, look at this for a second. Um, in consecutive weeks, we first covered the disappearance of Matthew Braswell. And then about two to three weeks later, you remember that uh, some remains, remains were found. And then they went back out there and did a deeper search. And more remains were found. He's unfortunately deceased. But that was only two or three weeks after that episode came out. And then the very next week, we covered the disappearance of Brandon Roberts, who I just talked about. And like two or three weeks later, he was found alive in a hospital in Portland, Oregon, after suffering uh, severe burns. And then there was Bo Mann. We covered his disappearance there uh, late February, early March. And then not quite uh, two months later, His body was found just a quarter mile away about from where he was dropped off uh, in December of 2021. 
course, we still have no news as to any resolution if they could figure out a cause of death or anything like that. I've not heard from his mother. And now we move up to Alan Glasgow, which was a disappearance that I think came out in April. And here we are, what, uh, you know, a month and a week later, something like that. And we find out that he is alive. That is crazy. I, you know, I never, you know, could have ever, you know, predicted anything like that. Um, because as, if you remember, and of course I was talking about this in the live show, maybe back in January, going into February, I was talking about, man, we have gone a long time without any unfound disappearances being resolved. You remember me talking about that? For those of you who tune in every Monday night. It seems like yesterday I was just saying that, and now here we are in the summer of 2023, and uh, four unfound disappearances just from this year have been resolved. It's just weird how that works. I guess like I, I, I think what I said back at the time in January was like, I think we're due. Certainly, surely the, the odds you know, have to bounce back the other way after going months, you know, many, you know, many months without any movement on, on any of these disappearances, despite us, you know, covering one every week. Um, surely something has to happen. And then this, you know, all these four, you know, and, uh, and who would have think of, of four of them, two of them, the people are actually still alive. You know, you know, if you're wondering, do I think that's luck? Do I think that Unfound had something to do with it? I just don't know um, enough about all of the circumstances of, you know, I would say probably in Brandon Roberts, no. But with Matthew Braswell, I can't rule out the idea that somebody heard the uh, the episode and took a walk out there why, wh- where Matthew went missing. I don't know that. Nobody's told me that, but it's certainly not beyond the realm of possibility given that we were very specific as to where the truck wrecked and, you know, the direction that Matthew was probably headed and everything. It's, it's not crazy to think that. Uh, with Bowman, uh, what are the odds? Uh, you know, he's missing for like a year and a half. We specifically talk, you know, that was a long episode talking to his mother, very specific. Uh, I did a map on that. And then what do you know? He's, you know, he's discovered right down the street. Of course, I could have never predicted that, you know, who would really think that, but you never know. And then maybe with Alan Glasgow, you know, I'm certainly open to the idea. Did somebody hear the episode and knew where he was? You know, uh, of course, Annabelle um publicized the episode being that she was the guest and it's you know Matt you know he she and Alan have a uh, a daughter together that she would put it out there so it's not crazy to think that somebody heard it and said you know what I knew where that Alan Glasgow guy is so I'm hopeful and these are the things um uh, that I've been trying to do with this podcast since it got started in September of 2016. So maybe they are all luck, but maybe not. Uh, you know, what I, like I said, what are the odds? 
that you cover these disappearances right in here in 2023. And four of them come to, I guess four of three of them are resolved for sure, for sure. And one is Bowman's is kind of resolved. Of course he's deceased, but we don't know exactly what happened. Whereas with Matthew Browswell being deceased, I got to believe that he suffered from some injury that finally um, killed him as he was trying to run away. I have no facts on that. Nobody's told me anything about that. We may never know, but I think that makes a lot of sense. Whereas with Brandon Roberts, Alan, they are still alive. Let's see what um, Charlotte says. We'd love to see karaoke. Karaoke. Marty, Ed with the deep tracks. Would love to hear it. Okay. Thank you, Marty. Uh, Veronica, wish him well. Charlotte, I listened to the Ronald McNutt case again. It is so sad. Um, Charlotte, uh, I think, was doing that because uh, being that Charlotte was in the think tank last night, patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast, that we talked about Ronald McNutt's disappearance being very similar in some ways to Patricia Otto's in that both remains are burned to the to the point that they can't be identified, but there is circumstantial evidence to believe a lot, you know, especially in Ronald's that the skeleton found in Ronald McNutt's truck is Ronald, even though scientifically they can't determine it. So during the, the discussion in the think tank last night, um, we talked about Ronald McNutt's and that's a, if you have not listened to that episode yet, that came out in November of 2019 i can't believe it's over three years ago i don't three and a half years ago i don't know where the time goes but his uh daughter leslie uh was the um guest but a lot of similarities between those two disappearances and uh you can listen to the ronald mcnutt disappearance and compare it with patricia autos and see what you think uh fishing hey all just getting on board love you and your hard work thanks fishing what's going on with you good to see you we were talking a little bit about my singing earlier fishing i was ta- talking about uh the three songs that i've already picked out for karaoke uh one of these days because i've been taking the singing class i'm doing singing exercises every day uh, Mark, I had those same hopes on the Dickerson case, hoping something that knows him or maybe even Sean himself heard your episode. That would be great, Mark. Um, you know, uh, the only thing I would say to that, Mark, is certainly his is um, a lot more complicated than Matthew Brandon's and, and Allen's, certainly. Um, although it's certainly could go along the lines of Bowman's. But I think, you know, speaking of Bowman's disappearance, given that he was found right down the street, it very well may be, and I'm hoping, given that it seems he was all in one piece and given that he was in an urban area, at least no big animals, I'm guessing, you know, not to be morbid, but I'm guessing some rodents or something might have come along during that time. But I'm hoping they can discern that, you know, if they don't see any stabbings or shots or anything on them, that they can get to a probable cause of death. And I think with Bowman's, um, 
You know, it very well could be looking back at it now, hindsight 2020. Maybe we just overcomplicated it. You know, we had all this information, the Uber rides and, and everything else. And, you know, that's been going through my mind. You know, this is what I, this is all that I do. So it, it's my job to understand these things. And it very well may be that we've overcomplicated it. And so, Mark, when you bring that up, it very well may be that um, with Sean Dickerson, maybe once again, we're also overcomplicating it. You know, maybe it is just as simple as he went up there and jumped. No proof of that. But we have to be open to that. Whereas I think some disappearances uh, that we've covered, maybe we didn't complicate it enough. You know, maybe like an Esther Westenbarger. That was one that should have thought about that a little more deeply, maybe. In retrospect. In retrospect. Uh, coffee, I look forward to hearing an acapella from you. Okay, coffee, thank you. I, I'm glad to have your support. I will take your support. Thank you, coffee. Angie, what's going on? I hope to get to hit the join button next week. Money's tight, but I feel the channel does so much. Thank you, Angie. Uh, really, really appreciated if you will consider it. Thank you so much. Deborah says, I don't believe he was killed where he was found. So you're talking about Bowman. Okay, Deborah. Mark, I think that case is going to haunt me much like Tom Brown did and TJ Murray does. So you're haunted by Tom Browns. I think a lot of people are. And TJ Murray, uh, that also could be one of the ones where I think, you know, my, my personal opinion is maybe people are overcomplicating it a little bit, but maybe not. And Sean's, with all of the info we have, everything the pictures and everything else, it does lend itself to try to look at all the info and make sense of it. And in the process, maybe not seeing the forest for the trees, certainly possible. So, okay. So there you go. Um, let me get back to this. So Alan Glasgow, if you're just tuning in now, Alan Glasgow alive, but can't say, um, you know, we had these two other ones, Brandon Roberts. I think a lot of people, including myself, were surprised given that somebody else ended up with his phone. Then going back to a few years ago, Patrick Greed, I think a lot of people were surprised that he was alive. Well, that in Glasgow, I'm not so sure too many people are surprised given uh, what we learned about him and the circumstances and everything else. All right, so let's go to the um, auto poll. Of course, Patricia's doesn't uh, disappearance doesn't lend itself to a very in-depth uh, poll because uh, I'm guessing most people listen to that episode and really do believe that those are her remains that were found at Finley Creek. It's just the science is just not there yet. I'm open to that. <clears throat> So I simply asked the question, do you think that the technology will uh, one day get to the point where the, that, the DNA can be sampled from those remains that were burned or were cremated? Cremains, as we talked about. That's a poor, I can't believe that in that episode I got that name right. When she kept saying cremains, and I actually knew the word portmanteau, which means when you take two different words and combine them together to make a new word. <laughs> 
that's what it is. It just kind of came to me. I don't know how I did that. But um, a large majority of you in the discussion group said yes, that eventually technology will get to the point where burned remains, uh, charred remains, cremation, ashes, something like that can be tested and scientifically identified placing those ashes with a particular person. I'm hopeful as well. I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, you know, the tough thing with covering disappearances, we just don't talk about DNA that much. So I don't really study what's going on in that field of research very much at all. I just don't uh, simply because it's just really not pertinent to what we do here. It's just not. So whereas I, I'm sure if I did a only unsolved murders or something, then that would be different. Uh, but that's not what we do here. Now in the uh, think tank really didn't talk about that too much. I think everybody's just hopeful. And you know, nobody's wants to say, no, it's never going to happen because I mean, really, I mean, 40 years ago, I mean, who would have thunk that you could combine a, a map, a camera, uh, you know, you know, uh, a stereo and everything, you know, in your hand with these things, these phones. So you can never rule out what technology is going to do uh, from year to year. So every, I think everybody is hopeful um, that the technology will continue to increase uh, with DNA. The other thing, a uh, point that I wrote about in the blog, once again, patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast i do the blog there entry level even entry level people get to read the blog or listen to it i do an audio version as well i also wrote a little bit about i think patricia otto's disappearance is one that reminds us that disappearances um are sometimes are you know usually not a snapshot in time it's a series of events that are happening over time that culminate in the disappearance. Now, it may you may just go back a few days, but with Ralph Otto, we may have to go back years uh, to the time when he first decided that he was going to abuse women. That is when Patricia Otto's disappearance started, not on August 31st, 1976, when she came home and they got in this fight that Suzanne uh, saw. The disappearance actually started years before that. And once you start to think about disappearances in that way, I think then it's much easier to understand them. Of course, there's still a lot of things we don't understand, but if you think about disappearances are not a snapshot in time. Like I talk about um, jet crashes, you know, whether it's a private jet or a commercial jet or whatever, a regular Cessna with a propeller or whatever else, usually those, those crashes, those accidents, whether people get killed or not, are not a snapshot in time. They're not just those seconds when the plane hits the mountain, the plane hits the water, the plane hits the ground, or plane hits another plane. It's a culmination of things that started maybe hours before, days before. Months before, years before, very possibly. If you think about it that way, then all of these types of things 
uh, these types of incidents and accidents and murders and disappearances and crashes and everything else, you, I think you can start to get a better handle on them. So there you go. That is the disappearance of Patricia Otto. I uh, got a lot of compliments uh, for both Melinda and Suzanne uh, for their interviews and the work that they've done. Everybody was very, very impressed. And um, I think they make a very good team. The issue right now, though, is that, uh, like we've say, stated, that science is what's going to have to catch up. And, you know, that at this point is, is out of Melinda and Suzanne's hands. So they have to play a little waiting game regarding that. But maybe they want to put a search together, go back out there where the family creek and see if they can find any more bones that are human. Maybe that can be something that's constructive. Uh, and Mark says, I just had ties to the air and TJ Murray. Okay. I saw a lot of myself in my younger days and Dickerson's parents' description of him. Interesting. Interesting, um, Mark. Yeah. Uh, I think every week probably somebody, you know, a lot of people can do that, Mark. Um, you know, maybe you with Patricia Otto, maybe women out there who've been in abusive relationships, abusive marriages, and maybe some of them thinking how close they came to being murdered or going missing and, um, you know, having children involved. Certainly I think from week to week, um, you know, depending on the person, you know, I think a lot of people can do that. Um, and that's why we spend so much time here. Uh, talking about the person, what you know, for a while before we ever get to the circumstances, ever. So um, that's interesting, Mark. Thank you, Charlotte says. Ed, did you ever think of doing the Brandon Swanson case? I have, Charlotte. In fact, uh, I've reached out a couple times and have been um, just nobody's really gotten back to me, Charlotte, but. Uh, we've been, made a couple attempts, although not recently. Uh, coffee. I am skeptical as to whether or not the skeleton was Patricia's. That's totally fine. Coffee. But I think her husband did it. Yeah. Okay. I think it would be, you know, it should the science um, catch up coffee. I, I wrote about in the blog, as you know, uh, I mean, what if we are to find out that it's not Patricia's, this, uh, Patricia's remains? What if? Um, that's certainly then uh, we're back to square one, I guess you could say. At least for Patricia's, uh, very well may be that it's identified and it's, you know, uh, of course, another woman. Um, then that disappearance or what gets the move ahead and Patricia's goes back to you know, square run, you know, go back to go, you know, do not collect, you know, monopoly, do not uh, collect $200 or whatever. But that would, uh, that would put, uh, that would be the monkey in the wrench, I think, as uh, Bruce Willis, John McClane, and Die Hard once said. All right, moving on. Uh, I'm hoping that all of you went, uh, on this YouTube channel uh, have listened to my interview with KLTZ in Montana. 
And I was on there uh, for 40 minutes, I think it was. Man, that time went fast. I didn't know they were going to be asking me so many questions about podcasting. I'm glad I you know, could do that off the top of my head. Of course, it is convenient being that I have this new um, new teachable course out there. I, I've announced it a few times now, how to podcast better than anyone. And I'll write the link down here in the, I'll do it. Uh, don't you worry about it. Uh, Shri, I'll get it. If you want to check it out, dot teachable dot com there you go and uh yeah could be anyone's hello patty three what's going on good to see you thanks for tuning in tonight coffee says could be patricia's could be someone else's certainly mark sounds like somebody wanted a free sample of your new course that's funny uh no uh new samples right now but that is the course, how to podcast better than anyone.teachable.com. But uh, they, I, I have to, you know, Mark, uh, I don't think they knew about that. Um, you know, I was fully prepared to talk the whole time about um, Barbara Cotton's disappearance. I really, you know, for 20 minutes or half hour, I mean, I had my notes in front of me. You know me, I'm always prepared. And then start out talking about podcasting, and there you go. Um, I'm not sure if that was a coincidence or not, Mark, or if that was planned or something. I don't know. Um, all I know is in the precursor talk I had with like the producer behind the show, not the not the host, but the person who was you know contacted me first. Nothing about podcasting ever came up. So maybe they just had time to feel, and they said, "Hey, you know what else can we do with this guy?" Um, so maybe I don't know. But the KLTZ interview, I thought went really well, and uh, I love talking to people about disappearances. I love being asked about them, and uh, so it it was good. So if you haven't seen that yet, haven't listened to it yet, uh, it is on the YouTube channel right now. Uh, it was posted like last Wednesday or something like that. All right. I want to move on to this story. It's been a few weeks now, but um, I have to, um, you know, it's been a bit, a bit, I just haven't gotten to it. Spleen. Hey, Spleen girl, where you been? Good to see you, Spleen. It was a good interview. It was funny that it was on a country station. Yeah, I'm still um, uh, having to pray to the metal gods because of that, Spleen. I got the impression they didn't know about the teachable course either. Yeah, so it was just some sort of coincidence, Mark. I want to talk about this dead doctor. Um, His name is John Forsythe. The Missouri ER doctor whose body was found in a lake more than a week after he went missing under mysterious circumstances had just gotten engaged to a nurse who was eight months pregnant with his baby. Dr. John Forsythe, a 49-year-old, newly divorced father of eight was last seen alive on March or May 21st when security cameras in the parking lot of a public pool in Castle showed him getting into someone's vehicle. Three days earlier, Forsyth had proposed to a nurse who had worked with him and whom his family had not met until after his disappearance. Most of his relatives were unaware of the engagement. The ER doctor's bride to be is eight months pregnant 
with the couple's first child, a source anonymously uh, said. I've not never cried and prayed so much as the last two weeks, Forsyth's father Robert told the outlet. While discussing his late son's plans for the future with his fiance, it's just been wrenching. They were planning their wedding. The 76-year-old added that he learned of the proposal on pregnancy only after his son's death. Forsyth's engagement came a short time after he finalized his, his divorce from his wife, a woman who had been married twice. He'd married to her twice. So they got married, got divorced, got married again. Uh, between 1995 and 2022. On May 10th, a judge ordered Forsyth to pay his ex-wife $4,000 in child support a month, plus another $15,000 a month, which the doctor who had uh, created a cryptocurrency with his brother and was reportedly a millionaire did not contest. By all accounts, the split was amicable. I, I, I guess so. Uh, Forsyth's brother, Richard, complained to Fox News Digital. The Enos family have been kept in the dark by the authorities about the investigation. The Missouri State Police told us, we know more than you think we do, he said. We are mad we are being kept in the dark. Authorities who have been equally tight-lipped with the press about the investigation have not said whether they believe Forsyth was killed or died by suicide. His brother and other family members have been have dismissed any suggestion that he took his own life, saying he was devoted to his eight children. He has with his ex-wife and seemed happier than he had been in a long time. On the day vanished, Forsyth had just finished a 12-hour shift at Mercy Hospital in Cassville. He texted his fiancée that he would see her in a little bit, but then stopped responding to her messages. Cassville Police Detective Stuart Lombard previously told Fox News Digital. Security footage showed the doctor heading to his luxury RV where he stayed while on call. Cameras later captured Forsyth in the parking lot of the Aquatic Center in Cassville, about a mile from the hospital where he's seen entering someone's vehicle. After leaving his own car unlocked with his wallet, two phones, a laptop, and other items inside. Forsyth then apparently emerged from the unknown car and was seen walking around the parking lot for 10 to 15 minutes. The medic was due back in the hospital for his night shift at 7 p.m. but never made it, which was extremely out of character. Forsyth's Acura was found that night near a waste treatment, treatment facility located 700 feet from the public pool with his stethoscope dangling from the rearview mirror. Nine days later, a kayaker found Forsyth's body floating in Beaver Lake in neighboring Arkansas, about 25 miles from Cassville, with a gunshot wound. Police have not explained how Forsyth got from Cassville to Beaver Lake and have not said where and when he died. So he goes down to Beaver Lake when he, because when he hasn't slept all night. He doesn't have his car and he doesn't have a cell phone. It doesn't make any sense. There's no way he went of his own accord. Forsyth had previously been involved in dangerous situations and was kidnapped and released in February 2022. It was cold, he was zip-tied, he was made to feel very unsafe, and taken on a car ride with some people to a bridge, and he was threatened. Richard Forsyth learned about the kidnapping from a friend and said it was somehow related to the cryptocurrency Onfo, which the brothers had created together. Dr. Forsyth never reported the first kidnapping because he wanted to protect those close to him from danger, according to the friend. Many times he mentioned he might be in danger, but it was always really vague. The slain doctor's father, Robert, said that his son told him he had made some enemies and hinted that there are people who don't like what I'm doing. But he did not go into details. Although Benton County Coroner Daniel Oxford said an autopsy, <clears throat> Forsyth's body was completed a week ago. The results won't be released until the investigation 
is complete. That is one crazy story. ER doctor, eight kids, gets divorced, is engaged to a woman that is the rest of his family doesn't know about. She's eight months pregnant. He started this cryptocurrency. He allegedly got kidnapped. He has a luxury RV in the parking lot, on and on and on. I mean, wow. So what are we to think of all of this? Um, Twinkle says, I think that doctor had some mental issues. He may have staged his disappearance to get away from all those problems. Veronica seems staged with a doctor, but I can't see the future. Here's what I think I know. That kidnapping did not happen. Um, you know, I, I realize that if you're, you know, if you've um, watched TV shows, maybe you think about The Sopranos, you know, those guys were always, you know, blackmailing somebody, extorting somebody and scaring people. And I'm not say, saying the mafia or the mob doesn't do that. Um, but really in, in Benton County, in Cassville, it's hard to imagine. Um, you know, I will tell you, you know, the thing that I can't get by is just as a 52 year old, I start reading about cryptocurrency and things like that. And I start thinking like scam. I start thinking about shady people. You know, uh, my personal opinion is that nobody who really cares about their money should have it anywhere near cryptocurrency, anything like that. So when I think hear about a doctor, he's not a doctor, he is a doctor, but you know, he's starting his own cryptocurrency and everything. I start thinking, you know, what's going on here? Really? And then on top of the fact, he has a fiance that nobody knew about. And, yeah, you know, she's pregnant and he hasn't told anybody about her on and on and on. Um, This guy just sounds like, yes, he has a lot of stuff going on, but I, I don't think it has anything to do with anything outside of himself. I will tell you, the first thing that comes to my mind is that, you know, if there's video of him meeting, like like it said, going to meet, you know, this other car at some parking lot or something like that. It's either one of two things. It's either drugs or th- there was another woman. And, you know, so he has his ex-wife. He has his fiance who's carrying his child. And then there's some, you know, there's some other woman that he's been also juggling. And, you know, maybe she's found out that now he's engaged and, you know, she's threatening to go public and and everything else. In addition, we have to remember something. This guy was not some Beverly Hills plastic surgeon. Okay, I, I realize that we all think that, you know, doctors make a lot of money. They do compared to the average person. But he was an ER doctor. And I realize we need him. You know, very important, in my opinion, more important than plastic surgeons. But ER doctors 
That's not where the money is if you're going into the medical profession. Certainly not. And you go back to these finances. He's going to he was going to be paying his ex-wife twenty thousand dollars a month before he sees a penny. That's twenty thousand, that's two hundred and forty thousand dollars a year. Before he sees a penny. And he has a fiance and another child on the way, on and on and on. This just sounds to me like a guy who had painted himself into a corner, you know, because he can't manage his finances. I don't, you know, I don't know what happened. You know, maybe they got divorced. Maybe it was, wasn't his fault. I don't know. But I mean, you read it, uh, plus another 15,000 and which he did not contest. Maybe he didn't contest it because he thought he wasn't going to be around to make any of the payments anyway. This is something that comes to my mind. It just sounds to me like a guy who is on the edge. And we have to realize your doctors, you know, stressful, you know, and that's one of those things. I mean, if, I will be honest with all of you that if I were to become a doctor, I, you know, I can't stand the sight of blood anyway. So, but you know, I'd be trying to be a plastic surgeon in Beverly Hills too. Um, because there is more money in it. You get to make your own hours. Rarely do you run into any necessarily emergencies you know, an ER doctor, I mean, you you know, you're dealing with kids who come in, you have been hit by cars. I mean, just, you know, I, I can't imagine the, the bad stuff that those people see along with EMTs. And we know that uh, the, the, the kind of damage it can do to your, you know, your mental health regarding all of this just seems like a guy that was really, really, really on the edge. And this is why, you know, I'm thinking, you know, he, yeah, he went over to meet somebody in a car, got into that car, and then he, he got out of the car and paced around for 10 or 15 minutes. And why was he doing that? He was contemplating the rest of his life. He was thinking, whatever news he got in that car, somebody gave him an ultimatum. You're going to do they have to do this or else. You, you're going to have to tell your fiance about us or else. You're going to have to tell your ex-wife about us or else. Something like that. I don't think this had anything necessarily to do with cryptocurrency. I just think that I'm just, I just find people that get into that to be very, very shady. Very, very shady. And we know, I forget the guy's name, that guy that tried to run and they, Caught him in the Bahamas. I mean, he was one of the biggest cryptocurrency people at, at one time, whatever it was called. And they, you know, some young guy and they brought him back. And now he's, you know, he's all this trouble. And he's, you know, it's just don't stay away from that stuff. All of you, PSA tonight, public service announcement. Stay away from cryptocurrency. Stay away from people who get into cryptocurrency and Bitcoin and all. Stay away from all of them. All of them. And so with this guy... I think that 
uh, he just um, I I think I have to say that I'm leaning towards suicide right now simply because he he just uh, went too far with all of this. And 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 then as we know, it doesn't pay to kill people who li- need you know who owe you money or something like that. Simply because dead people can't pay off debts. So there's that. So, I mean, it's a crazy story. Uh, just don't, you know, let's everybody's saying uh, here. Seems stage with a doctor, but I can't see the future. I agree with you, Ed. Thank you, Marty. Shree says the brother is suspicious. Okay, so Shree's looking at the brother. Uh, no wonder spleen. He would have only had about 140,000 left after that. Um, I guess only as relative, but then after taxes and everything spleen and, you know, he's going to be working the hours, uh, of an emergency room doctor, but after taxes and all this other stuff, you know, he's going to, you know, he's going to have to live like your average teacher what your average teacher, you know, and, and when you're, you know, all these things going on, it just something sounds like something is uh, not right here. Twinkle. Yes. Cryptocurrency is shady business. Twinkle says, Marty, I anti-crypto over here, Mark, Sam bank for free. Thank you, Mark. That's who I was thinking of Rockford agree on suicide. Also not buying the first kidnapping. Hello, Rockford. Rockford makes his first appearance tonight. Agree with you on suicide. Also not buying the first kidnapping. Deborah, he might have been worth more dead than alive. He might have been. Um, so maybe Deborah's going along the lines of, uh, you know, maybe the ex-wife figured out, you know, maybe there there's some health, you know, life insurance policy. Could be. But it just sounds to me like we've experienced so many times and so many disappearances. Man, this person had a lot of things going on. You know, if it's just was just one of these things, you get divorced. All right, he has this big payment. That's just one thing. Or, you know, he has this fiance who's a nurse and he hasn't told anybody about her. You know, it was just that. Or if it was just him and his brother doing some cryptocurrency stuff, you know, if it was just one of these things, then okay. You know, I guess everybody, even myself, has like one thing. That's, you know, uh, but this guy has all of them. (laughs) So, um, and you also got to wonder, I mean, what's going on? He has a fiance, never told anybody about her. This tells me the reason he's not, I mean, there's only one reason people do that. Well, I should say, I'll just speak for my gender. There's only one reason men do that is because there's other women in the guy's life. That's why. That's why that happens. Um, whoops, uh, that post twice. That's fine, Rockford. I'll have to respect this review on crypto. The alternative is having the government aware of your finances, which is more terrifying than anything crypto related. Okay. Twinkle, I'm thinking the doctor was working at a small hospital, which wouldn't pay as much. Yes, Twinkle. Would like to know his work background to see if this was a slide down for him. So the only reason telling that kidnapping story is his brother. No other confirmation. Yeah. Okay. I see what you're saying. Uh, Sheree. Okay. So the brother's just creating that. 
Uh, Marty, I hear you on that, Rockford. No one wants the government to have full range of uh, Rockford not going, but can't resist observing that there are far more shady people in elected office. Okay. So that, that um, is the dead doctor. And you have to remember this happened. You know, I meant to talk about this like a couple weeks ago. This happened on May 21st. And um, still, I mean, I, I was looking at the most recent information. This is the most recent information. So they've had his body for a while. Surely, if it was a gunshot wound, they know if it was like back of the head or side of the head or in the stomach or whatever else. Surely they would be able to tell if you know, the gunshot look, at least in the general range of if this was a suicide or not, did they find the gun? If he was in a lake, that's going to be a little tough, not impossible, depending. So, um, mm -mm. just a lot, got a lot, I got a lot of stuff going on. And, you know, it's one of those things where, this guy made all these choices and then somehow then he's not the one who does something to himself. No, somebody else does something to him. It just seems uh, a little bit of, uh, you know, how bad can somebody's luck get, I guess. Uh, Veronica, tell us women all the secrets, Ed, when it comes to men. Well, you know, Veronica, I am single, so uh, I am certainly not. This is not a relationships, a live show or relationships podcast. Um, but as a single guy and, you know, being, you know, the advantage that you have on being single for 52 years in contrast to men my age who, if they are married at my age, have been married maybe for 20 years or something like that is that just to be honest just because this is the way it is you just have more experience around women and um it's just some of those things that like dare i say married men might not understand they might have had a lot of experience in their teens and 20s well i got spirits teens 20s 30s 40s into my 50s and so when you hear about a guy who's not telling anybody about his fiance and everything. I mean, that's always bad. <laughs> uh, you're right. Uh, uh, Gravius or great car has not been found, but I'm referring to the swirl of activity around him at the time of his disappearance. Um, maybe. Maybe. Uh, I'm still convinced the Ray Gricar, um committed suicide. He also had a lot of things going on in addition to the fact that it seems suicide ran in his family. And we know that that is scientifically a thing. Uh, Deborah says smart on your part. Uh, sometimes I do make some smart decisions, Deborah, and then make a lot of bad decisions too. So that is uh, this John Forsyth guy. And I had to be reminded that this is John Forsyth, the regular guy. This is not John Forsyth. The guy who was on Dynasty and the guy who played the voice on Charlie's Angels. So I, of course, hope that they eventually find out the truth on all of this. 
it's just I don't believe the kidnapping story and the guy had a lot going on. And obviously he was pacing around thinking about things after being in that car. And when I think of something like that, um, I think that somebody had given him an ultimatum. Either you do this or something's going to happen. And, you know, he maybe chose the doctor, the good doctor chose uh, choice number three. Um, being single would have allowed me to attend the think tank yesterday. I had to stop for my anniversary. Yeah, those things get in the way, Rockford. Um, okay, Kathy. Speaking of which, um, of course, if my mother was still alive, my parents tomorrow would have been married 59 years. They got married June 13th, 1964. Tomorrow would have been year uh, anniversary number 59. As it was, they uh, were married for 54 years. I can't imagine that. Just just saying the words, I just can't imagine. I'm 52 years old, and I'm still not as old as their marriage was when my mother uh, died. That's crazy. All right. Moving on, uh, I want to talk about the Unabomber. Ted Kaczynski, the Harvard-educated mathematician who retreated to a dingy shack in the Montana wilderness and ran a 17-year-old bombing campaign that killed three people and injured 23 others, died Saturday. He was 81, branded the Unabomber bomber by the FBI. Kaczynski died at the Federal Prison Medical Center in Butner, North Carolina. He was found unresponsive in his cell Saturday morning and was pronounced dead at 8 8 a.m. Before before his transfer to the prison medical facility, he had been held in the Federal Supermats Prison in Florence, Colorado. If you've ever ever have a chance, you should watch like a documentary on that Supermax prison. Fascinating. He's been there since 1998. uh, Four life sentences for what he did. He admitted committing 16 bombings from 1978 to 1995. Years before the September 11th attacks and the anthrax mailing, the Unabomber's deadly homemade bombs changed the way Americans mailed packages and boarded airplanes, even virtually shutting down air travel on the West Coast in July 1995. I'd completely forgotten about that until I read it here. He forced the Washington Post in conjunction with the New York Times to make the agonizing decision in September 95 to publish his 35,000-word manifesto, Industrial Society and Its Future, which claimed modern society and technology was leading to a sense of powerlessness and alienation, but it led to his undoing. Kaczynski's brother, David, and David's wife, Linda Patrick, recognized the treatise's tone and tipped off the FBI. In April 1996, I remember when this happened. I remember where I was when the news broke. They found him in a 10 by 14 plywood and tar paper cabin outside Lincoln, Montana, had journals, coded diary, expletive, explosive, expletive, explosive ingredients, and two completed bombs. An elusive mastermind, uh, the Unabomber won his share of sympathizers. And, but once it was revealed, he was a wide-eyed hermit with long hair and beard who weathered Montana winters in a one-room shack. Kaczynski struck many as more of a pathetic loner than a romantic anti-hero. Even in his own journals, Kaczynski came across as not a committed revolutionary, but a vengeful hermit driven by petty grievances. 
Uh, I act merely from a desire for revenge, he wrote. Psychiatrist who interviewed Kaczynski in prison diagnosed him as a paranoid schizophrenic. Mr. Kaczynski's delusional delusions are mostly persecutory in nature. The central themes involve his belief that he's being maligned and harassed by family members in modern society. Kaczynski hated the idea of being viewed as mentally ill, and when his lawyers attempted to present an insanity defense, he tried to fire them. When that failed, he tried to hang himself with his underwear. He eventually pled guilty rather than let his defense team proceed with an insanity defense. I'm confident that I'm, that I'm sane, he told Time magazine in 1999. I don't get delusions and so forth. Um, the FBI called him the Unabomber because his early targets seemed to be universities and airlines. That's where they get the UNA. An altitude-triggered bomb he mailed in 1979 went off his plan to board an American Airlines flight. A dozen people aboard suffered from smoke inhalation. Very fortunate that that plane did not disintegrate. Kaczynski killed computer rental store owner Hugh Scrutton, advertising executive Thomas Mosser, and timber industry lobbyist Gilbert Murray, California geneticist Charles Epstein, and computer expert David Gulletner were maimed by bombs two days apart in June 1993. Um, they go. Um, when Kaczynski stepped up his bonds and letters to newspapers and scientists in 1995, experts speculated the Unabomber was jealous of the intention being paid to Oklahoma City bomber Timothy McVeigh. A threat to blow up a plane out of Los Angeles before the end of July 4th weekend through air travel and mail industry into chaos. Unabomber later claimed it was a prank. And uh, Patrick had had a disturbing feeling about her brother-in-law even before seeing his manifesto and eventually persuaded her husband to read a copy of the library. After two months of arguments, they took some of Kaczynski's letters to Patrick's childhood friend, Susan Swanson, a private investigator in Chicago. Swanson, in turn, passed them along to former FBI behavior science expert Clint Van Zant, whose analysts said whoever wrote them also probably wrote written the Unabomber's manifesto. Swanson turned a corporate turned to a corporate lawyer friend Anthony Besegli, who contacted the FBI. Um, so there you go. Uh, he is dead. You know who else is dead? I didn't put it in my, uh, notes here, but you know who else is dead is one of the biggest spies in American history. Um, the guy's last name was Jansen and, uh, they actually made a movie, uh, where Chris Cooper played him and Laura Linney was also in that movie. And that was a pretty good movie. I forget what it was called uh, right at the second. But he died uh, recently also in his cell. He was also a guy who was put away for life. I think also, I think at the the Florence, Colorado, Supermax prison, that's where all the spies go. So, um, like Aldrich Ames, he's still alive. But, uh, yeah, the Jansen guy, he died just recently as well. If you ever have a chance, I know somebody's going to look it up. Um, there was a movie made about how he got caught in like the 2000s somewhere, maybe 15 years ago, 18 years ago, something like that. And the actor, uh, Chris Cooper played, played him. And I just can't think of the, uh, young actor's name who played 
just can't remember. I just remember that Laura Linney, the actress Laura Linney, was in it as well. But, um, you know, what's interesting to me about this is in reading this article regarding the Unabomber is that they were able to identify him, you know, through the writings. You know, all these writings were made public. They, They went national and international. And it was from that that, as you heard in this story, that the the, the sister-in-law, the the wife of the brother of Ted Kaczynski, started to get suspicious. She told her husband about it. They argued about it, and then they did something. But it was interesting that the writings led to the Unabomber getting caught. But being that this has also been a topic recently, it's interesting to me that the writings of the Zodiac Killer did not get him caught. Uh, even though those letters certainly had a lot of um, eccentricities and uniqueness to them. And, you know, this is one of those things. I was just um, – there is a guest who will surely be on Unfound within the next month. And as part of the uh, episode when I haven't done the interview or anything, but I know that, you know, I can already see it in my head, that some of the items that will be made po- – will be posted for all of you – will be some of the writings that this missing young man wrote and, and uh, you know, letters that were written to him. And, you know, it's interesting to me as a person who has written a lot of words in his life. Of course, I do a lot of writing for Unfound. I do, uh, of course, the what we would call the scripts for the episodes. I do the blog. Of course, you know, put together the unfound nows and now the found episodes on Patreon and the outline. I do a lot, lot, lot of writing just for a podcast that's, you know, audio. But as many of you know, before I was doing this, I've written several novels in my life. Uh, words, myself and words go along really, really well. And back in my days of... um writing novels, it was not unusual for me to write 3,000 words a day every day for like five months in a row. No problem at all. Just boom, 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 boom. And it wasn't just gibberish. I had everything already planned out beforehand, and I knew where I needed to go for that particular day. And so when words become into some of the disappearances that we've covered, whether it's emails or letters or what somebody's posted, it's weird how at least my mind starts really analyzing those words and how people use words and the order that they put the words in and everything else. And so getting back to this, it's very just interesting to me that they caught the Unabomber due to his writings, but they didn't catch the Zodiac Killer because of his writings even though his were pretty unique too, using unique words and certain misspellings and, you know, adding an extra S to the end of Christmas and everything else. Very, very interesting uh, to me. Let's see what everybody is uh, saying here. Uh, While I was reading that, that was pretty uh, long. Mark says, my parents have been married 66 years since fall. Wow. That's unbelievable. Me and my wife only eight years under our belt, but we are going strong. Good to hear it. Uh, Veronica, 18 years. 
Um, Linda Patrick was a college professor at my alma mater. I was on campus in my senior year. That's interesting, Rockford. Uh, I can't believe how many years that was. Where did the time go? Uh, hello, Valerie. What's going on? Right to it. I was thinking the same thing. Uh, Sheree, you're just a young thing. Oh, Sheree. And Kathy's saying about Sheree. That's funny. Uh, Marty, Veronica is my sister's name. All about perspective, uh, Sheree says. Spleen Girl, sadly, he was alone in hospital as a baby for months at a time when they didn't know how important touch was for development. Parents said he came home changed and was happy baby prior, not excusing. All right, so going back to Ted Kaczynski, you know, was he that way because of something that heard, happened early on, very, very early on? And I have read that somewhere, Spleen. It's that wasn't that's not in the article that I have here, but for some reason I, I knew that. Um I must have read that somewhere at some time. Uh Veronica, did anyone else read of the Univoder committed suicide? Um that's not what it, very you know, this is article maybe he did, Veronica. I don't know if that's actual news or just somebody postulating something out there. I, I just don't know. I uh, just said he was found respon- unresponsive. Uh, this article um, was from the last couple days. So um, maybe could have. I guess we can't rule that out until a uh, you know, declaration is made. I suppose we can't rule that out. Char- uh, Charlie Bravo, genius, also has a little madness. Charlotte says, I read that earlier today that he committed suicide. Okay. All right. Don't know what to think of that. But uh, Rockford, Marty weren't. Uh, okay. Um, so that is Ted Kaczynski. Uh, serial killer, mad bomber, the Unabomber. Didn't just kill some people, but he injured several people. Uh, we're very fortunate that that plane, somehow the bomb got on the plane. We're very fortunate that that thing didn't fall out of the sky. As all of you probably know, when bombs go off on planes, that's usually really, really, really bad news. Although there are other, are other stories of bombs going off on planes and the planes not um, crashing. Uh, usually somebody gets killed. Of course, if the bomb is you know, right under somebody's seat or something like that, that has been known to happen, but um, most of the time, given that the bombs, it, you know, it doesn't take much to bring a plane down. Uh, the big problem with airplanes and bombs and things is that being that an airplane, you know, flying at a high altitude, 35,000 feet is pressurized. When the bomb goes off, everything, of course, everything automatically depressurizes. So you get this explosive blowout. You know, the air is escaping. But also, what's much more damaging to a plane is when it's not the waves that travel through the air, like the bomb going off and the sound waves going through the air. What's dangerous to a plane are the sound waves that go through the skin of the plane. And so you get this rippling effect. And what happens is those ripples will run down the full length of the plane. And once they get to like the tail 
or the nose, they start rippling back the other way. And so what happens is you have waves coming back and you have waves going forward. And when they hit, of course, they become doubly strong. And that's when a plane starts to get ripped apart. That's how planes explode when bombs go off. It's it's the same thing any any other you know any uh, depressurization, whether it's a you know a bomb like a Unabomber bomb or just a regular depressurization like from a from a structural flaw or whatever else. Um, that's what you really have to worry about when it, it comes to planes and depressurizations, and. Um, you know, they talk about that. If you've ever seen any uh, of the stuff like on Flight 800, of course, the, of course, I believe that the center fuel tank really did explode. And that's really what happened there. And then with MH17, uh, you know, of course, it got shot down. And, it, you know, it wasn't like the missile, you know, hit the plane. It just had to blow up close to the plane and depressurize it. And, of course, it fell out of the sky, and all those people got killed. So, um, so we're very fortunate. All I can say about this Unabomber bomb is that it mustn't have been very big. For it to not uh, bring that jet down must have been not very big, and maybe that's the way it got onto the plane in the first in the first place. Uh, MT, I've read a couple articles that say stores to say he did commit suicide. I haven't seen anything from officials yet. Okay. I almost uh, through 2019 years going into November uh, 2019. All right. So you got Ronald McNutt's uh, disappearance episode right in front of you. Shree said Pablo Escobar took down a plane with a bomber. Someone had someone do it. I think I remember that, Shree. Um, I think I do remember that, right? Maybe some government official or somebody that was trying to get him out of the uh, cocaine business, something like that. Yeah, I don't think anybody would be surprised by that, paying people off to sneak bombs on planes. And in fact, um, there is uh, probably the most recent... Um, most recent accident like this. And the only reason I think this is because I have Paramount Plus and they have that Mayday air crash investigation show on there. And there was a, a Russian jet that took off from Egypt or Ethiopia or somewhere, and it was headed back to Russia and, and it exploded. And they believe that somebody, um, someone from Al-Qaeda or ISIS or somebody um, paid off one of the baggage handlers to put the bomb on the plane or something like that. And that's been some years now. Um, we don't quite have the bombing of planes as much as we used to for a lot of different reasons. Technology, maybe things are just a little different now. Uh, you also can't forget, uh, speaking of which, Probably one of the most famous uh, bombings happened in uh, – did you know this? But before the 1988 Seoul Olympics in South Korea, North, the North Korean government set upon a plot to blow up a jet, and the jet did blow up, um, 
to make sure, try to make sure that the, the summer Olympics never happened. They blew up a South Korean jetliner. There were two, uh, two um, North Korean agents who were in charge of doing this. One of them ended up committing suicide after accomplishing. He was going to get caught, and he committed suicide or was murdered. And the woman who was involved in this actually did get caught, and she ended up turning, ended up, you know, um, essentially defecting. You know, she didn't realize how brainwashed she had been being in North Korea. Maybe you want to look that up. That was back in 1980. See, like I said, I'm an encyclopedia of airline stuff, um, as well as disappearances now. Uh, Mark, an explosion that damages an aircraft's hydraulics would almost guarantee its demise. Without hydraulics, there's virtually no way to control a large plane. That certainly can play a huge role too, Mark. Certainly. Um, that's certainly true. Um, like uh, Sioux City, Iowa. That, of course, was not criminal. That was an engine that blew apart. And those guys almost managed to land that plane. Almost. So close. Still, a lot of people lived, but they really believed landing there that they were going to be able to save everybody. If you've ever seen an interview, of course, I think that pilot's deceased now, but um, a couple of those guys are deceased that were on that plane, the pilots. And they really believed that they were going to just land that right at Sioux City, Iowa. No problem after fighting it that whole time. And then at the last second, it just got a little squirrely in the wing and it ended up cart rolling. Yeah, crazy. Uh, I have to get on a plane next week. Not sure I want to hear about down planes. Sorry, Spleen. You have to realize it's very, very rare. Uh, it's much more dangerous you riding in a car to the airport than it will ever be ever in a plane ever. Valerie, Ed, what do you think of the Vegas UFO? I'm glad you asked, Valerie, because we're going to talk about that next. Thank you for setting it up. It's almost like it was planned. Uh, my friend's fiance was on Pan Am 103, which was bombed. Yep. Yeah, Karen. And it took many, many years to track down the people who did it. Yeah. All right. Let's go. Let's move away. Uh, maybe I've scared a few people, and that is never my intention anytime. But uh, we just talk very factually here. you know. But the odds of any of all this happening is so low, so low, so low uh, that it cannot hardly even be measured. Let's move on to that Las Vegas story, UFO. We're talking UFOs again in my going back to my former hometown of Las Vegas. A tall, skinny alien creature with greenish color that was about eight to 10 feet tall was reportedly hiding behind a forklift in a Las Vegas family's backyard after a potential UFO crashed overnight, April 30th to May 1st. So this is like a month and a half ago. I looked at it in the eyes, and my body just froze like sleep paralysis. Witness who didn't give his name said on a YouTube video, he had a weird-looking face, big feet, and a big shiny eyes and a big mouth. I can hear its loud, deep breathing, and its stomach kept moving. He would just stare at me, and seconds later, I could move again. He called 911 at 12.25 a.m. on May 1st and told the dispatcher that large creatures were in his backyard. They're not human. 100% they're not human, he told the 911 dispatcher. I swear to God, it's not a joke. It's actually real. Las Vegas police followed up, police followed up on the call after a different officer's body cam dated April 30th at 11.50 p.m. 
captured a glowing green light streak across the sky from the top right corner. And Tyr appeared to crash and disappear in the distance. I have a lot to say about this. At least 21 people across eastern California, Arizona, Nevada, and Utah reported seeing the glowing green light, according to the American Meteor Society. A witness who was seen in the responding officer's body cam told a story in a YouTube video under the username Alien Society 51. That should tip you off to something right away. And shared pieces of the body cam footage. A neighbor's doorbell camera that captured the loud bang and aftershock and a picture of a perfect circle in his backyard purportedly left behind by the aircraft. The witnesses said he and his brother were working on his car in the backyard around midnight on May 1st when he heard something fall from the sky. I turned around and saw a big light falling from the sky. And moments after, I felt a big impact and a bang. When the impact happened, it was like a shockwave. It was all blurry, not my vision, only the backyard. And I, I heard thousands of footsteps around me. A couple seconds later, the footsteps were gone. He called 911 and the recording was released to the media. There's like an eight-foot person. Beside it, and another one inside. It has big eyes and looking at us, and it's still there. In my backyard, I swear to God, this is not a joke. This is actually, we're terrified. The dispatcher clarified what the emergency call was about. So there's two people, there's two subjects in your backyard. Correct, and they're very large. They're like eight, nine, ten foot. I don't know. They look like aliens to us. Big eyes. They have big eyes like I can't explain in a big mouth. They're shiny eyes. They're not human. They're 100% not human. A responding officer is seen in the body cam footage asking what the witnesses saw and told them his partner saw the same thing. George Knapp, a renowned journalist, uh, being that I lived in Las Vegas for 13 years, uh, he is not a renowned journalist. He's a kook who has broken some of the biggest UFO-related stories. He hasn't broken any UFO-related stories because no UFO story have ever been identified as being UFOs. Or he hasn't broken UFOs. He hasn't broken UFO stories because there's no proof that UFOs exist. All right. You can't break something that doesn't exist. Told, uh, he said that he's spoken to the family over the last four weeks and didn't detect a hint of a hoax. Okay. Metro police took it seriously. The officers responded to the 911 call, interviewed the three witnesses, and they found them to be sober and credible, Knapp said. Knapp said. The police didn't say that. Knapp said that. George Knapp, kook. They searched the backyard, looked for physical evidence, canvassed the neighborhood for more witnesses, then returned later that day for a follow-up. We had multiple conversations with the family over the four weeks and didn't detect a hint of a hoax, but what really happened, we don't know. And authorities still don't know exactly crashed in Las Vegas that night, but there's evidence that something happened. I know some people are going, not going to believe this, the witness said in the YouTube video, but this is what happened to me. All right. So here's something we have to remember. So these guys were just out in their backyard working on their car. Something happens. They see aliens and the guy goes to YouTube and actually, I don't know, what are the odds that a person who comes up with this story has a YouTube handle with Alien Society 51, what are the odds that a person who has a YouTube channel called Alien Society 51 is somebody who saw an alien? What are the odds? You know, it's, he doesn't have a YouTube channel about accounting. 
He doesn't have a YouTube channel about engineering. He doesn't have a YouTube channel about like Doug DeMuro talking about cars. He doesn't have a YouTube channel that's about missing persons cases. No. He has a YouTube channel about aliens, and he just happens to see aliens. What are the odds? This Now, I will admit something. Uh, I am actually open to the idea somehow. I, I, no, I'm not open to it now. But when I first read this, I was like, are we sure this isn't some sort of Blair Witch marketing going on? Maybe some of you remember this uh, if you're too young. Uh, but uh, back, you know, back when the Blair Witch Project came out in 1999, um, you know, I was just getting into independent filmmaking. I quit at 7-Eleven. I got involved with the Cinevegas uh, Film Festival. So I ended up getting into like filmmaking and independent filmmaking and just at kind of the right time that the Blair Witch Project came out. And if you'll remember, the way that movie was marketed was that it was real. That these three kids went missing and then sometime later these video VHS tapes, that's how old this is, were found out in the woods and then Somebody got them, put together, this all together, and that was the movie. That's how it was marketed. It was the first, what I would call, first internet viral marketing campaign. I remember it like it was fascinating. And, and believe it or not, I still think that's a spectacular movie. I mean, just the way they did everything, just um, to be able to put something together like that is amazing. Uh, and it also is probably not a coincidence that I'm uh, fascinated by it because the filmmakers got their idea from In Search Of, probably the show that originally got me into disappearances back in the 1970s. That's true. They got their idea from the show In Search Of because these guys were like, you know, right around my age. But I, I started thinking, is this something like that? Is it something where... This, yes, this looks like the body cam, you know, like the video of a body, you know, camera that a cop will wear, but it could be, you know, you could create something easily on your Mac to look exactly like that with the same font and everything else. And I'm like, could this be some sort of marketing for some upcoming independent film about aliens? That was the first thing that that caught my mind. That that's the first thing that hit me. But now that Metro has come out and Las Vegas Metro, that's the local police. Las Vegas Metro is talking about all of this. Obviously, those body cam things are real. They're not fake. They're not spoofed. They are real. And then it was then that I discovered that what are the odds that this guy who's claiming he saw it, he just happens to have this YouTube page that's called alien society 51 or whatever it's called, or he maybe just created that. Maybe that channel didn't even exist. And so in creating this YouTube channel, so he can talk about it, he calls it alien society 51. Either way, it's so hokey. 
It's so hokey. Um, you know, you just, the problem is you just can't put anything past anybody these days. There are just so many people clamoring for attention. They will do anything. It, it, it's, it's, you know, it's, uh, it, it, it's disgusting. They'll say anything. They'll do anything. Um, and as I continue to blame it on reality TV, which goes back to the early late nineties. And if I really, really, really wanted to get particular, I think it goes back to that show jackass that was on MTV way back in the day where that guy, all he had to do was do all these stupid things and, you know, put himself in danger and eat things and break legs and break arms and everything else. And people would put a camera on him. That was the show. That's where this all started. And now, of course, that was even before the internet came out. And now that the internet came out, and now that there's so many different social media platforms, and, you know, with TikTok and Instagram and everything else, it just exacerbates all of this. Granted, for what I do, the internet is fantastic. And being able to use it in a constructive way to help people. Most people do not use social media that way. And I can't, you know, um, you know, how do I put this? There are a lot of people doing what we would call regular jobs out there who would much rather have their own YouTube channel doing crazy stuff or be an influencer and everything else. And it's really something that is undermining our culture, at least here in the United States. You know, I'm, account I'm an accountant, but I'd really instead love to be an Instagram influencer. I'm an engineer, but I'd really like to have a TikTok uh, channel with a million followers where I, you know, don't do engineering. I do crazy stuff on there. So this is also what I think about when I think about a story like this, <laughs> that people will just say and do anything. Now, of course, I'm biased. I don't believe in UFOs. I don't believe in aliens and everything else. But like I said, I keep trying to figure, calculate, what are the odds that somebody who uh, sees an alien would already have a YouTube channel or have a YouTube channel that says Alien Society 51? <laughs> it's not, uh, you know, for example, buddy John Lord. It wasn't John Lorden with the John Lorden brain scratch, Lorden Arts channel that saw aliens. You know, it wasn't Agat Mador uh, who has a fantastic chess channel. It wasn't he who saw aliens who then got on his chess channel to talk about aliens. It wasn't Doug DeMuro who, you know, drives fancy cars and does these reviews and everything who saw an alien and then gets on his car channel to talk about aliens. No, it just happens to be a guy who already has an alien channel that says he saw aliens. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It's so funny. Uh, before I go on, I want to um, see what everybody's uh, saying here. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, Valley says, Spleen, you will be. Spleen, you will be okay. Um Rockford says it's a cautionary tale, kids. Take it easy on the mushrooms. Somebody's smoking something. 
Um, yeah, Sharice says, rumor has it that an L.A. officer, L.E. law enforcement officer making a stop caught. A, yeah, that's in the article. And then had his guy call 911 to report aliens in the backyard. Oh, then the then the policeman had the guy call 911 to call. I see. Well, let's hope that's not the situation, Sharice. Let's really hope that's not what happened. Charlotte, you leaving us? Okay, Charlotte. Thanks for joining in tonight. Uh, the odds are on the same as two guys uh, outside at midnight fixing a car. You know, Deborah, I, I have to admit back in my uh, gearhead days of drag racing and everything, you might have caught me under my car or something at midnight. Maybe. So, but, you know, um, but yeah. Especially, cons- you know, considering how hot it is in Vegas, even at night. You know, what are you doing? Uh, I love the way they did Blair Witch. The mockumentary they made to accompany the film was amazing. Rockford, the Blair Witch Project was a spectacular movie. Theater I went to was rowdy at the beginning and totally silent at the end. Yeah, I I, uh, I remember going to see it in the theater. I, I went to see it with this guy, Ron, who worked with me at the film festival and his girlfriend, whose name I forget. I think she was a stripper, I think. And um, the the place was packed. And I remember it was 1999, and either Ron or this girlfriend had a cell phone, which I didn't end up having a cell phone until like four years later. But the cell phone actually had a game on it. And I remember that blowing my mind. This is 24 years ago. But it had some sort of little, very simple game on it. And I was just, my mind was just blown that the cell phone would have a game on it. You know, it's just, that just shows you how long ago it was. So I remember going to that screening. I forget what theater it was in Las Vegas. I don't remember that. But I remember going to see it, see it with them. And, um, and in fact, I think because we worked at the film festival that we actually might have gotten free passes or something. Maybe. I remember it like it was yesterday. But I don't remember where it was. I just remember I, – I think I went and saw that in the theater like three times after that night. So I, I like saw it like four times in the theater. Uh, I believe it back then I left the theater so scared, Valerie says. Blair Rich Project was much better than – yeah, Jackass. It certainly was. Uh, Deborah says, I believe in UFOs, but not in 10 foot aliens. Um, I'd like, uh, Rockford says, I'd like to see Ken Maine's reaction to someone reporting an alien sighting. That's funny. Marty, ha, I would pay to hear Ken's reaction. Veronica, Ed, did you hear about the kids who survived 40 days in the rainforest? I did, uh, Veronica, but I'm not going to get to it tonight. They're very fortunate. Crank, I think a lot of this newer UFS stuff is a bunch of highly intelligent college kids. Doing fun stuff in their free time reminds me of that 80s film, Real Genius. Wow, Cranks, you are hitting me. You're hitting me in the feels, Cranks 99, or Cranky 99. Real Genius, fantastic movie. That movie is so good. Uh, Val Kilmer, so good. Um so good i wish my college days would have been like that you know i don't talk about much my college days because i didn't really have a very good time over those four years i wish my college years would have been like that that would have been kicking some butt love that movie have it on dvd 
uh, have loved it since the day that it came out. I'm not sure I agree with the rest of it, and that's totally fine. But you're hitting me in the feels uh, with the real genius, Crank. 99, nicely done. Uh, I, I do want to bring this up uh, regarding UFOs and everything. Now, you should know something else. That story uh, that I just read was from a national news website just within the like the last three or four days. Now, what is really funny about this? Now you have to remember, you saw the date. It was like April 30th, May 1st is when this happened. The national news is only covering it now. It's only getting to the national news now. Now, what's funny about this? <laughs> if you go to the Las Vegas Review Journal, which I continue to say is like the best news website in the United States, like, at least for like city news. I've, I've always thought that from when I lived there, always great, very well laid out, good writing, interesting stories and everything that cover a lot of stuff in Las Vegas. I, to this day, they do a fantastic job. Do you know there's not one story on the Las Vegas Review Journal website, like on their front page about this at all? That should also tell you something. Here the national news is, oh, look at this, look at this. But the local news is like, you know, they've already, you know, local news has already moved on. That should also tell you something about the veracity of all this. Now, on that point, I, I, I had, um, uh, for any of you who uh, follow me on my personal page on Facebook, you know that I wrote this a, a few days ago, kind of when this kind of, you know, when this all came out. That I made a, a, you know, something that all of us should think about when it comes to UFOs and people finding UFOs and Area 51 and Roswell, New Mexico, and all of that. You know, all these Navy videos allegedly showing UFOs and everything else. Here are some things I would like to remind you of. Back in whatever year that was, 2012 or something like that, right around there, when SEAL Team 6 went into, what was it, Pakistan and killed Osama bin Laden, I think that they were, you know, I think they had, I think they were supposed to abduct him, but they picked up guns and they ended up killing him. Remember, there were two helicopters that were involved in that operation, and one of them Something happened to it. It crashed. Everybody survived. It kind of like a hard landing, hit a wall or something. Everybody, of course, lived. But before that SEAL team left, they blew that helicopter up so none of its technology could get in because it was these stealth helicopters that are very, very secret. And the only thing about it, helicopters is I even know living here, you can hear them. They're so loud. From miles and miles away, well, they've been working on ways to kind of quiet them. And so before they left, they blew that helicopter up so nobody could get their hands on any of the, you know, real secret stuff. Even going back to World War II, when the USS Lexington was torpedoed and they knew that it was eventually going to sink, but before letting it sink on its own, just to be safe, what did they do? The U.S. Navy sank its own aircraft carrier. Why? So the Japanese couldn't go on there and maybe get any, you know, 
technology or, or whatever else. They didn't want anybody else to be able to go onto there, that ship and take anything. Same way with Yorktown, which got sunk during uh, the Battle of Midway. Same thing. It got bombed by the Japanese, and then the U.S. Navy were the ones who sank it, once again, because they couldn't be used anymore, and they just weren't going to let it sit there in case somebody goes on there. And, you know, of course, there was like radar technology and things, some things that the Japanese didn't have. They sank their own ship. So we got SEAL Team 6 destroying a helicopter. We got the U.S. Navy in World War II sinking aircraft carriers so they wouldn't get into alien hands. But somehow aliens just allow UFOs to crash all over the place on the Earth, and they never come back to get them. Even though the the aliens know this is alien technology, even though they know that technologically we are behind them, but I think any sort of species, race, or whatever you want to call it, being animal or whatever, would worry about you know technology getting into the hands of an inferior civilization. And it's you, you know that's even one of the themes of uh, Star Trek. This is one more reason why I dispute all of this stuff, why I think all of it is crap. You know, Roswell, New Mexico, Area 51, Las Vegas, here, there, everywhere. Everybody's seeing these UFOs and seeing things crash and everything. And, you know, the U.S. government has alien technology. (laughs) The U.S. Navy wouldn't even let the Japanese get its hand on some aircraft carriers. It makes no sense. So, um, I'd like all of you to remember that if you ever talk to any ufo believers that might be something uh that you want to you know bring up uh i've read about that happening quite often i remember when them blowing up an mrap in the bo bergdahl story uh valerie said the ufo vegas was on cnn i was like wow yeah it was you know like i said valerie it seems like the national news stations are have just picked this up within the last week this actually happened at the end of April, and they're acting like this just happened. should tell you something. I know of only one UFO captured. Yeah, well, um, as you probably suspect, Deborah, I don't think any you know UFOs have been captured. I think that you know Roswell, New Mexico, you know, I've convinced myself it was just a tourist thing. They wanted to bring tourism to their town, so they came up with the story that EFO crashed there. Charlie, uh, Shree, my question is with all the technology, why didn't any one of them get their picture or video? Everything is recorded now. That's a good point, too. A lot. That's certainly a good point. Everybody uh, going around with their cameras and, and everything else, everybody taking pictures of what they eat, but no pictures of any aliens. Uh, my problem with believing you is the idea that the government could keep a secret that effectively – well, I guess you might say the, the counter to that is it doesn't seem they have kept the secret effectively, being that it seems like so many people believe the government actually has UFOs. Um, as I stated last week when we talked about UFOs on this live show, I've convinced myself that the reason all this news gets out is because I think this is some sort of way to test people. I think they're trying to figure out, you know, are there people within each department who are leaking stuff? And surely somebody would surely go public 
they believed that there was UF tech, UFO technology that the government had. Nobody's going to be able to keep uh, their mouth shut on that. So they, so somebody comes up with this idea. You know, there's some people. I think there's information leaking out of our office about of our department. You know, let's just some put something really, really outrageous out there and see if it gets to the public. That's what I think's going on. I'm not saying there isn't crazy technology out there that we've invented. Surely so, but it didn't come from other planets. Uh, yeah, thank you, Rockford. Uh, Deborah, I believe the military keeps a lot of secrets about Ross. Well, you want to believe that, Deborah? Um, you know me. I don't argue with that stuff. I just don't believe it. I just, you know, I have my own theories uh, about things. And uh, but trust me, trust me, trust me, trust me. If I ever see anything that I think is a uh, an alien object from another planet, I will be honest about it. I won't try to cover it up just to protect my own ego. And I will say, you know what? I was wrong. There really is something going on. I will tell all of you that if that ever happens. But until that happens, the answer is I don't believe in any of this. Hello, Fairy Magic. You're getting in right at the end. But still, uh, thank you for joining us tonight. I uh, just want to remind all of you, be, for anybody on the email list, um, probably within the next 24 hours, be looking for an email from me regarding this new teachable course. Once again, how to podcast better than anybody. Uh, be looking for that in your email. We're going to have, um, I guess you could call a promotion type of thing going on. So look for that in your email if you are on the email list. All right, time to get to this Friday's disappearance. We only have about four minutes to go. This Friday, we're going the whole way back to 1971. I would have been just over a year old. We're going... Back to early October, we're not sure on the date, early October of 1971. Going to be covering that, uh, the disappearance of David Wagoner, not Wagner, Wagoner, W-A-G-G-O-N-E-R. He went missing from Pasadena, Texas, not Pasadena, California, but Pasadena, Texas, in early October of 1971. His sister Diana Sherbet is the guest. And she's a fantastic person. Uh, she and I had a great conversation. Um, she was so thankful. I was the one who reached out to her. I had come across David's uh, Facebook page that she has. And I contacted it maybe a month ago or something. And she was so ecstatic that somebody was reaching out to her. She just could not believe that uh, there are people out there who are actually reaching out and looking for these disappearances that aren't as well known. And um, and you're going to hear that in the interview, like, you know, of course, towards the end where she talks about that. She just could not believe that she got a message from a guy who has a podcast that does nothing but disappearances and covers them well and everything. She just could not believe it. 
The circumstances of David's disappearance is that he was an um, ex-Marine, was in there four years, maybe having a little bit of trouble adapting to civilian life, was kind of bored with some of the jobs that he got once he got out of the military. And it seems that he went for a motorcycle ride one day and never came back. But then a few weeks later, people realized, hey, we're not sure what happened to Dave. Well, then a couple weeks later, his bike was found about an hour away in a place called Cold Springs, Texas. Uh, the bike was kind of off the main road. It was sitting there. It wasn't laid down. It wasn't wrecked or anything. It was up on its kickstand. The helmet was there, but that was it. And David was never seen again. Now, what complicates this disappearance is that the sheriff in that area where David went missing, not where he lived, but where David went missing, 10 years later, a little over 10 years later, was convicted of, along with his deputies, one of whom was his son, of abusing people they caught. They uh, were caught pulling people over for no reason and giving them tickets for no reason. And that is the area where David's motorcycle was found. And the title of this episode, we're going to go back. If it's going to be early 70s and it's a story about a motorcycle person, a guy on a motorcycle was missing. Title of this episode, of course is easy rider so that will be this friday david wagoner wagoner uh early october 1971 he's missing from pasadena texas but his his bike was eventually found in rock springs texas and his sister diana is the guest and the title of the episode is easy rider so that's all I have for you tonight. Uh, great show. Um, tonight, I thought so anyway. Of course, I'm biased. But uh, thank you for that, Rockford. Um, and thank you. Uh, thank you, MT. Good night, Jasmine. Everybody, keep your heads on swivels. Thank you all for tuning in. Remember, give this video a thumbs up before you're done. If you're listening to this as a podcast, Remember to give uh, this uh, podcast a nice review wherever you are. That's all I got. All of you will uh, hear me on Friday. And um, I hope everybody has a beautiful week. And remember, don't forget, Father's Day this Sunday. Good night, everyone.